Hello, and welcome to another episode of Beneath the Surface. I'm your host, Carlin Bradley, a fat black queer fan who uses they them pronouns. Beneath the Surface is a podcast analyzing politics and society through an intersectional feminist lens. Do you have an idea for an episode or you want to be a guest? You can send me an email at podcastbeneaththesurface at gmail.com. This podcast has two formats, individual episodes and conversational episodes. Individual episodes are where I discuss various topics by myself and provide an analysis, and conversational episodes are where I bring in guests and we converse about a specific topic. Today is going to be an individual episode, and I'm going to talk to you all about resiliency. Before we get into the episode, though, I do have a few announcements. Um, or like, yeah, I have some announcements slash updates. Um, so the first thing is, hi, y'all. Um, it has been a couple of, I think it's been two or three months since um, the last episode came out. I was on winter break. So if you follow me on social media, you were able to get updates about when Beneath the Surface was coming back and about me um, going on winter break. So definitely make sure that you're following the social so you can always stay up to date about what's going on with the show. Um, since I was on, I was on break, um, but like not really. Um, so in, so November was when I released the last episode, um, about, um, it was like metabolizing black rage. And then, so I was still recording, um, during like the winter break. I just wasn't releasing episodes cause I was getting ready for spring. So I did, all of the episodes for this season, or for the second half of the season, because um, we're still in season two, um, are recorded. Um, they're being mixed. They will be released. I'm really excited. The interviews were really great. I had some amazing folks that I was able to have some conversations with. So there, you're going to be getting a lot of conversational episodes. But yeah, I was um, I was doing a lot. So I didn't have. Um, I didn't have capacity to both like record and also produce and also release um, the episodes because everything that is done for the podcast, like I do all of those things myself. So like the social media post, the recording, the mixing of the episodes, the promotion of the podcast, the writing of the show notes, like all of those things, I, I do all of them, all of that by myself. Um, so... I was doing a lot, um, so that's why I needed to take a break, um, but I'm excited to be back. Uh, yeah, so episodes are going to be coming out weekly because of um, when they're being released since we're in March now, um, so you all will have two months, two-ish months of episodes, so episodes are going to be coming out every single week instead of bi-weekly, um, and you'll be getting episodes Every Thursday, if you are not a patron, but if you're a patron, you can get episodes two days early. So all of my patrons, they get episodes um, released to them on Tuesdays. And you'll get um, episodes up until about the beginning of May. And then I'm going to go on summer break. So yeah, um, what have I been up to? Um, I have been 
So when I went on break, I was, like I said, I wasn't really on break. I was working. Um, so I have, I was working at Starbucks. Um, I was a part of the Siren Gang Gang. Um, so I worked there for a little bit and then I started a new job in January and I've been working on my new job. And so there was just a lot of other, there was a lot of transitional stuff that was going on that I needed time for. I also am in school, um, finishing up my semester or finishing up my undergraduate career, career rather, because I'll be graduating in May. Um, so I needed time to just be able to like, um, you know, get into my new job and learn the new job. And now that I feel like I have a hang on my job stuff, I was like, okay, I can record um, a couple more episodes. And um, I'm really just trying to make sure that I, you know, am being mindful of my capacity and like not overextending myself. So yeah, that has what that's what I've been doing. Those are some things about um, the show. You will get, like I said, episodes are going to come out weekly instead of bi-weekly. Um, and then you'll have episodes up until May. And then I'm going to go on break again. And all of this, I'll make sure, you know, to say it at the beginning of, to remind folks, like at the beginning of the episodes. And again, if you want to keep up with me, um, follow all the socials. And if you want, um, you know, more stuff in between breaks. Um, so like I was, even though... Um, I didn't release any new episodes for like the general audience. My patrons did get some stuff from me. So in January, they got a, um, a video essay about um, MLK. And then I think that they got, they there was two videos that they had gotten. So if you, you know, love beneath the surface and my analysis and love being able to hear from me all of the time, maybe you should consider becoming a patron. Um, you can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. Um, and patrons get all kinds of fun, exclusive stuff. They get video essays. Um, like I said, episodes get released to them two days early on Tuesdays. Um, they get a little bit, a little bit more behind the scenes stuff and hangouts, voting privileges, all kinds of fun things. So, you know, if you want to be able to keep up with me more, maybe consider becoming a patron. So, um, like I had said earlier, today's episode is going to be about resiliency. And so this episode is going to be like, there's going to be analysis in it, but it's going to be more ranty than like, it's going to be a structured rant, but it's definitely going to be, like, more ranty than, like, full-formed academic um, thought. And so I've been wanting... So this thing, like, resiliency, I think that I actually remember, like, the moment where I was just like, damn, I really hate this word and um, have a really fucked up relationship with it. And so there's and, and, and the, the the problem that I have with resiliency isn't that I don't think it, it's not like I outright think that being resilient is bad because it's not right. Um, resiliency can be good in like proper dosages. Um, I think that my 
issue with resiliency, and I'm gonna fl- I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna flesh this out, is the way that resiliency is weaponized um, against BIPOC people, against marginalized communities, and then like against like Black people specifically. And it wasn't. And again. It was like I had a I had a like I had an aha moment where I was just like, oh, this word actually is really triggering to me. And I have like been reflective since that moment until like recently again. And then I was like, I need to talk about this. So the place and time where I really was sitting down and was sort of like I don't really like the word resilient or I don't really like the way that the word resiliency is used was, um, it was in 2020 and we all know. So like, I'm like, what did, what happened in 2020? The pandemic, that's when the pandemic started. Right. Um, and we are still in the pandemic, no matter, like, regardless of what the government says, people, you know, keep trying to gaslight us to go back to normal, there is no normal to go back to, right? We can never go back to pre-pandemic times. We can't unlive, unlearn, forget about all of the stuff that we have, like, been traumatized through. Um, and it's actually really fucked up. And this is actually, I think, a piece of resiliency, right? Is it's really fucked up how people are kind of wanting for us to pretend, like, to either downplay or pretend or, like, under understand, like, what happened. Um like what we have survived, right? Um, because being resilient is being resilient, yes, is possible and is good, but it is also oftentimes traumatizing. And I don't think that we provide enough space to really sit with the fact that like resiliency oftentimes requires um people to move through things that are harmful and traumatizing to them. And so the moment that I had was like I said it was in twenty twenty. And some of you who are some of the listeners, you may have actually attended this event. Um, So in 2020, the pandemic happens and it was like, I don't remember what month it was, but it wasn't too, it wasn't very like long into the pandemic when the BLM chapter here in Tucson partnered with the Black Student Union on campus and hosted like it was like a thing it was like a black joy and resiliency event which and the event like turned out fine and it was great and I did a speech um I don't think I ever I have the I think that might be something that I probably will release on Patreon if you want to hear the speech um if like you weren't there to see it um and the thing was was that this was like when you know, everything was still pretty much locked down and like folks weren't sure, like we still weren't, didn't know a lot about COVID. A lot of people were getting sick and dying and, you know, black folks though, like had to organize. Right. Um, because I want to say, I think that the event happened it had to have happened after George George Floyd died. And I think that the thing that the folks from BLM did were like because they, they had they were burned out, right? And they were like, We are not organizing a protest because that is what everyone always wants for us to do. We instead are going to organize an event 
where we can celebrate black life instead of organizing something instead of us constantly organizing around black people dying they're like because it's it's traumatic it's exhausting the, like the, the, it keeps on being cyclical the same things keep on happening um so they were like we're just we're not they're like if other people want to organize protest that's fine if other people want to protest that's fine but they were like we don't want to because we're tired um and we want to do something else and so you know i'm you know leader in the community and i got invited to come and speak and so i was really nervous um about speaking one because i was you know I didn't want to get COVID. Um, and this was going to be like the event was, it was, you know, it was going to be outside. They were requiring, you know, everyone to wear masks. Um, and most people did wear masks. Um, I think a large majority of folks wore masks. They were providing masks for people. You know, they were disinfecting everything. So they were doing all of the things that we knew at the time to do to stop COVID from spreading. And I was still really nervous because I was just like, I can't fucking like, you know, I was like, I lived with roommates and I was like, I don't want to get them sick. I don't want to get sick. If I do get sick, like who's going to take care of me? Um, if I do get sick, like, you know, anti-blackness in the medical institution. So I was really nervous. And I, I ended up saying yes, like at the very last minute, I think I was like, you know, they had asked me, I think, like, the week of the event or something, and I was like, I'll do it, like, the day before, because I let, the, you know, I let the folks know who were organizing it. I was like, I'm really on the fence about it, because I was like, I don't want to get sick and die. And I was like, also, like, we're Black people, and we shouldn't have to fucking be organizing all the time. And, you know, the folks in the community were like, yeah, I understand all of that. But they were like, you know, you really are a powerful leader you really do have great things to say and they were like you know we really think that people need to hear from you right now in this moment and so I ended up going I looked great my outfit was cute um and and I think and I don't, I don't remember I haven't revisited like I haven't revisited the speech um recently so I have to like go back and watch it to remember what I said um because it was very much like I spoke like off the cuff it was like well what are the things that like I feel like I need to say in this moment and I just remember like speaking and like the event was fine like the event was really good and I got interviewed for the news and you know people thanked me or whatever for saying the things but it was like very wash rinse repeat right of like other moments where you know black folks say all of the things that people are thinking and articulate all of the stuff in the moment and then like nothing changes right um and here we are literally two years into the pandemic still and nothing feels different right things actually feel much worse or more dire or yeah, things are much worse, I feel like. And, and, and around a lot of things, right? Um, there was a summer of protest where defund was really popular and people were really energized around it. And then Biden got elected. And I think that Biden being elected, you know, some people have disengaged. They 
have left their radical politic. People are not as invested in Black people and Black organizing as they were during 2020. Money is drying up. Um, people are reversing on their support of defund or like defund has been co-opted to where people are like, we actually mean reform. Um, at the time of this recording, President Biden um, did his State of the Union address, and he actually, in his fucking State of the Union address, was like, we don't need to defend the police, we need to give them more money, and it's like, nigga, no, we don't. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, I risked my life, literally, right, to do this speech where people were like, yeah, we hear you, and this, this, these things that are happening need to stop happening, and I, I you know, and I talked about, like, how a lot of people really needed to examine their internalized anti-blackness and the moment was great and it was moving and I got people Venmoed me money. Um, but like, I don't know that people really did the thing that I was asking for them to do right in that moment of being reflect. I know some of those fucking people didn't um, because some of the people that I was, there was a moment in the speech where I do remember there were folks that I saw that I knew had like did like who participated in fuckery. And I was speaking, I was essentially speaking directly to those people without naming them. Cause I didn't want to be too messy. Um, and so it's sort of like, the institutions haven't shifted. I don't know that individuals have shifted. The support for black people has not, hasn't, you know, we're not doing the things that we need to um, in order to make sure that we're actually unpacking and then even like confronting anti-blackness when we see it. And I think that this this goes into the piece of like black people always being expected to be resilient um and how that and how violent that is and i think so like thinking i'm thinking about all of the stuff that has happened since that moment in 2020 right so thinking about um how all of the ways that people have failed black folks and but then have continued to demand things from us so like um all of them, you know, all of the marches that happened in 2020 um, during the summer and the resurgence of BLM and how, you know, the George Floyd Act was, Congress was like, they, you know, people were like, we want for you to defund, we need for you to rethink policing, we need for you to invest, these are the types of investments that we need um, into Black people. And like, none of that happened right or like it was like a one-time investment and people came out with statements but like structurally it doesn't feel like anything has shifted um I know that I still feel like I have to beg people to support my work um which is frustrating um I know that you know people again co-opted the needs of black people we elected we literally fucking elected a president who ignored the protests that were happening during his fucking presidential election and got elected through the mobilization of black people through the energy like through some of the energy that was happening with people mobilizing and then had the fucking audacity in his state of the union address to say that actually no we need to give police more money and it's like how do you say that you want to give police more money when black people keep getting killed by the police or like how can you sit here and um 
thinking, you know, I'm thinking about how, like, the, uh, I'm like, fuck, what are the name of those two? The, the, I can't think of the names of the legislation off the top of my head. But, the, you know, the at the federal level, needing for those Voting Rights Act's bills to be passed, and the, the bills still haven't been passed, and people are really demanding that we out-organize the legislatures in states like the one that I live in um, who, who are doing voter suppression tactics. And so there's just all of this expectation of Black people who we continue to be harmed, and, and the harm isn't even like... It's not even like people are hiding the fact that they are trying to harm black people, right? Fucking Mitch McConnell's ass literally said this. Like he, a couple of, what was it? Like, I think a month or two ago, that nigga explicitly was like, I don't want black people voting, right? Or like, we need black people and Americans. And so like, it is the, all of the things that black people have been telling folks about, you know, here are the ways that the state is trying to harm us. Here are the ways that they're using rhetoric to, to like, activate these, you know, these dog whistles in you to trigger the parts of your anti-blackness, to make you distrust black people, to make you support this other thing that is, that's actually going to be harmful to everyone, but like, that's going to be disproportionately harmful to black folks and people, you know, called us alarmist and, or ignore us or tell us that like, that's not exactly what we need or tell us to wait. And it's like, how much more waiting do we need to do? Um, like what needs to, like what needs to happen in order for folks to finally, um, stop expecting for black people to do impossible things, right? Um, and I don't know, because it's sort of like, I don't know what more people need to see in order for them to be like, oh, maybe black people know what the fuck they're talking about, right? So like, the, like I said, thinking about how, you know, all of these state legislators are passing voter suppression laws. And like, if you think that just because um, sorry, my alarm went off. Um, just because you're not black, that voter suppression isn't going to impact you. Like, you don't, you don't see a problem with people not, you, you don't see how if we allow for one group of people to be excluded, it makes it easier to like little by little take rights away from other folks which we're seeing right like that's literally what the fuck is happening in this in this moment is like folks ignored the gays and they ignored black people and they ignored women's rights and it's like all of that shit is and now all of us are like oh fuck democracy is in danger and oh my gosh the gop is stacking the court and oh shit all of this legislation is happening and woo look white supremacists try to overthrow the capital like Yes, bitch, we've been telling you this this whole time, right? So anyway, um, I feel very frustrated by a lot of things because I'm able, I feel like I was able in that moment to realize what part of the problem is. And part of the problem, at least for me, has been there's an expectation for, for Black folks to put up with a whole bunch of bullshit because there is this idea that that we as black people are just 
able to put up with insurmountable amounts of violence and trauma and disgustingness and harm and like and for things to be taken away for us, from us and that we just keep showing up to fight and it's like for what though like i really had a moment i was like why though um and really i and i really am in that space and i have i know that i have been struggling with and i have been talking with other black folks who do organizing work and i'm like i don't even really it's not that I don't care about organizing but I'm like I need to shift what my relationship to organizing is because I'm seeing how people expect for black folks to be resilient and to be resilient in a way that and I think that the way that people expect for black people to be resilient is for they want for us to be resilient in a way that is harmful, right? That folks want for Black people to take on, I think, the brunt and the harm of so much of the violent things, structures in in the state, from the state. Um, and then they're like, we'll deal with whatever is left, right? And, but then in doing that it creates like this fucked up power dynamic where black folks are being the ones that are exhausted black people are the ones that are become the targets of all kinds of violence um black folks are the ones who are doing a lot of the labor but aren't getting paid aren't being recognized aren't being elevated aren't being listened to and then other people by proxy because they're the ones who you know get to become experts in things that they know nothing about. And they're the ones that get the money or they have the energy to start a nonprofit organization that's going to do whatever the fuck, right? Or they have the luxury to only be activated when Trump is elected and spent their entire lives ignoring all of the fuckery that has been happening for centuries in this country, right? Because, like, they're not the targets of the violence, so, like, yeah, um, I think that the way that we use resilience is, I hate it, and it's fucked up, and it's harmful. And I think, and one of the other things, too, in li- and I think, actually, like, looking at the pandemic, the way that, like, folks have even used resiliency as a way to kind of be like, you can do it. The state doesn't need to help you because people are resilient. And it's like, yeah, that's true. People are resilient. And also cut us some motherfucking checks and give people like give people money um, for stuff. Give people rental assistance. Cancel our fucking student debt. Stop letting police kill us, right? I think that the way that the state wields the word and the idea of resiliency manifests itself interpersonally as well as a way for folks to literally be able to look at the harmful things that are happening to particular communities. And instead of empathizing with them and saying, wow, 
it's really fucked up that these harmful things are happening to this community. What can I actually do to mitigate this harm or like in the best case scenarios, eliminate this harm because so much of the harm that we experience in a white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist society is manufactured. Like, and I don't know that a lot of us, like, I don't know. I think that a lot of us know that subconsciously, but I don't know how many of us engage with that consciously, that a lot of the harm that we experience in this society is made. Like someone made a decision somewhere at some point of time where they said this type of harm is acceptable in our society and then institutionalized it, right? And that is the part that is irritating or and frustrating and hurtful is that people will look at Black folks and we will articulate, here are all of the ways that this thing is manifesting itself. Here's how I'm being harmed by this institution, by these attitudes, by this behavior, by this legislation, by whatever the fuck. And instead of people looking at us and saying, we hear you, we feel the, not like, you know, we empathize with you in, in a way where we recognize your humanity and we are we realize that hearing something that is hurtful to another human moves something inside of me. That's not, I don't think that that's what happens. I think a lot of people, because of the way that black folks have been, you know, framed as being ultra resilient, people are just like, oh, well, it's a good thing that black people are resilient and y'all can overcome everything because look at how much you have survived so far. And that is, like, not the fucking response that we need. We need for people to look at what's happening to Black folks and be disgusted and feel outrage and feel and recognize our humanity and then do something about it. And not, like, the weird... Um, and, like, and so, like, this happened actually a couple of weeks ago. I was in a workshop and someone was like a white person was like hearing about these things that are happening to communities of color is so upsetting and I'm just like duh bitch like and like I know that it was coming from a good place but if you have been like the thing about that that is triggering and aggravating is that it's like the constant expression of shock and dismay that white people display when they're in organizing spaces or when they're in spaces that are talking about how marginalized people have been treated unjustly is like, it, remi it, it reminds me at, at least that you haven't either been paying, you either haven't been paying attention because you know, because you haven't had to, because you've been insulated in some way. Usually, actually, that's what it. I'm like, that's it. It, 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 it. To me, it says that you haven't been paying attention because you've been insulated. Because you don't have to tell me how shocking this shit is. I know because I've lived it. So, like, I don't need to be remind. I don't need you to remind me how appalling th the things are. I need for you to do something about it. Um, and I need for you to do the things that like people are asking for you to do, not like. Anyway, I'm like, like I, I told y'all, this is going to be ranty. So I'm going to, and, and I want to ground 
this rant in something. So something that has happened to me, and I and, and I think that this was what like the moment where I was like, I don't like resiliency. And then I kind of sit sat like I was like, but why? And I put a pin in it. And then I refl- I did like I reflected on some stuff that happened to me in the past and then paid attention to how people were interacting with me at the time and then came back to why I don't like being called resilient. So I've shared with folks, um, or I've, I've shared a little bit on the show about how I like dropped out of school. So I was a college dropout technically. Um, well, no, not technically I was, I dropped out of school. Um, and so I, I came to I transferred to the University of Arizona in 2013 and then was there for like two years I think and then finished fall of 2015 and then wasn't able to go back to school in the spring of 2016 because I didn't have money and the thing that was so frustrating about that whole ordeal was that like I knew I knew everyone. At, I know every fucking body at that motherfucking school, right? So my school, so like, the University of Arizona did me dirty, and a lot of it was like, it, as time had gone on, it was like people could have helped me, but like didn't want to. There were some people who could have done things institutionally, but like didn't because they didn't like me, and they were like, "That's what he gets for always." coming for people because I used I had a reputation I mean I still have a reputation on campus um like I was confrontational and people didn't like that and then there were other people who were like we could help but we don't want to because we don't want to be associated with helping Carlin because of the reputation that they have and then there were other folks who were doing like using what they could and where they were in the institution to help me. So it was like a myriad. So there was like a combination of people doing things. But what it came down to was that folks did not want to help me because I was an organizer and because I was confrontational and I was an agitator and I was black and I was unapologetically confrontational to people on campus when folks would like say things that were bullshit. And I was like, no, that's not acceptable. We need to do different. We need to do more. But one of the other things that would happen when I would tell people, when people would ask me about like how I was doing or like what was going on with me getting back into school, something that, and I don't know if people just didn't care or if people like literally just couldn't pick up on this, but oftentimes when people would ask me what was going on, I would tell them and I would be, oh, I was like overwhelmed by it because dropping out of school and I think, I mean, dropping out of school in 2013 had huge ramifications for my life was a huge cause of distress for me at the time. Um, and then I, and like for where I am, like, well, it had actually had like a lot of ramifications for me, like psychologically too, because it made me feel like I was a failure. And so, I mean, I'm I got back into school, I'm graduating 
in May. But one of the things that was frustrating was that I already felt like I was behind because I didn't transfer to the University of Arizona until my, I was like 24, 25 when I transferred. So I already was like, I'm so behind in like, I should already be graduated. So then I was further delayed four more years. So like now I'm in my 30s graduating with my bachelor's degree. And I was like, I wanted to have been like done with my PhD by now. And so when I was, you know, explaining to people, here's what's happening and here's the bureaucracy and here are the different strategies that I have tried to push the institution to get myself back into school. Most people didn't hear, oh, it sounds like you need help. Most people heard me thinking through stuff. And not everybody. There were people who did help me strategize. So I want to be clear that there were folks that were actually like, what can we do? Let's strategize. Let's get you back in. So I, I, there were people who did help me. and But there were more people who were like, well, if anyone can figure this problem out, it's you. And I was like, bitch, do you not hear the distress in my voice? Like, do you not see how this is psychologically and emotionally weighing on me? And so what that, when people would tell me that I, that they basically thought of me as being someone who could withstand the type of institutional racism, the ostracization, like me being pushed out of the, like the intentional ways that I was being pushed out of the institution. And when they were just like, well, you can withstand all of this that's happening to you. That signaled to me, one, that I can't trust your ass. And two, it showed me that people, I'm like, did people not see me as a person? It, and it also made, it made me feel like I couldn't share some of the other things that were going on with me with folks because people would not hear what was happening. People would not empathize with me. So there was like a lot of shit that went on that I like just didn't tell people about because I was like, I can't fucking be vulnerable with folks because if me telling you and if you can't hear in the way that I'm conveying this story to you about how I'm exhausted from trying this strategy and I tried doing this and then they told me no this way or they or they're fighting me here and if you don't hear if you can't see the distress there and your response to me is that well if anybody can overcome this challenge that you really shouldn't have to be going through in the first fucking place is you that doesn't make me feel seen or heard it makes me feel dehumanized and then also makes me not trust you. So there were a lot of people who I was like, oh, okay, so like, you don't see me. Cool. Um, but then again, there were other folks who did hold space for me to be frustrated and to process and who did actually strategize with me and who did, you know, help make sure that I stayed connected to the institution so that I could go back because that has been, that was one of the things that I saw that happened was there were so many other people who were BIPOC folks, um, who were like first gen, who were, you know, queer people 
who were women, who all kinds of marginalized folks who like would drop out because they didn't have the energy or the time or the language to navigate the bureaucracy that is the institution in the same way that I did. And also they shouldn't have had to, right? They should have when people knew that they needed help, folks should have like had the tools to help them and they didn't. And I think that part of the reason why people don't have tools to actually help marginalized people is because there's this constant rhetoric given to folks that marginalized people don't actually need help because they're resilient. And then there's also like the racism of like marginalized people don't need help because they don't deserve it because racism and xenophobia and whatever. Right. And so I didn't, so I remember feeling frustrated because I was like, why does no one have the skills to help me? And part of it was because people, I think a piece of it was people didn't care because people saw me as resilient. They saw, they did not, they were like, Carlin won't let this thing defeat them, which like wasn't the point though. The point was that I needed help. And instead of people seeing me spiraling, they were like, you're resilient. Like, you got this, bitch. We believe in you. And so, like, if you're someone who is, like, listening, um, who was one of those people, um, maybe you should, like, I don't know, rethink that and ask yourself why the fuck you were like, oh, Carlin is fine, when I definitely wasn't. Um, I was, like I said, dropping out of school and the whole, like, the whole ordeal and everything that happened... Um, and all of the, this, all of like the behind the scenes stuff that I was doing to get back in school, it was exhausting. And, and like I said, it was really psychologically and emotionally distressing to me to have dropped out and then had to, had to like figure out where to position that. And it put me in, um, it put me in like a weird situation, like monetarily. It was like, like I said, it had, I mean, I could do like a whole fucking series on what dropping out of school did to me. And it really like fucked up my ability to like make money in a particular way. It, it, it did a lot of stuff and I didn't want for people to look at me and see me as resilient, I wanted people to help. Like, I needed help. And, um, and folks, like, didn't fucking help. Um, <laughs> they didn't help for a long time. And then they, and then we find, and then, you know, and then I did eventually, like I said, I got back into school and there were, there were folks who did organize and who did help with that. And I appreciate those folks and I'll be graduating. Um, but it was, it was a lot, um, from, it was a lot to have gone through that. And it was a lot to, it was interesting to see and experience like who saw me as resilient and like who didn't. Right. So like there were a lot of people who did help. There are folks who, you know, I had a couple of GoFundMes and there are folks who 
donated to those GoFundMes, and I appreciate those folks, right? Because they didn't see me as just being, or, or maybe it was like their definition of resilience was different than how I think other people's definition. Because I think that like, I think that some BIPOC people have an understanding of resilience to mean, that doesn't mean like, and nothing hurts you. It is like resilient in the sense of, um, I'm like, what is the word I'm looking for? I, I think that some people conflate resilience and persistency with one another. And there is, I am persistent and I don't mind, I don't mind people looking at me and being and being like Carlin is persistent but persistence because I think that when you when someone is persistent you pause for a moment to ponder why they're persistent whereas like I think the use the way that resilience has been used and has been like mythologized in in how it has been used specifically for black folks is it is this 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 thing that like gets invoked when very harmful things are happening to black people that like black people shouldn't be putting up with shouldn't be putting being put through in the first place and then it's sort of like romanticized right that like we as black people are resilient which we are but like we shouldn't have to be and some of the things that like black people are asked to Res, like resilient see themselves through are like really fucking bad um and we should and like other people we don't demand the same of other people right me looking at like the ways that the state bent to the wills of like white people through a fucking pandemic who were anti-vax and who didn't want to wear masks right like they the the united states government pussy popped all around to placate um people who didn't want to fucking get a shot or wear a mask in order to support like the ability for other people to be healthy and I'm like, I didn't see nobody telling white people that they needed to be resilient. The moment that there was an inkling of discomfort, suddenly everyone had to shift the way that they were existing for the to center the comfort of white people. No, the, the girl, like if it was black folks that were talking to, if that were like, we don't want to wear masks and we don't want to get vaccinated not saying that there aren't black people that are because there are black folks who are anti-vax unfortunately but like if the group of people who in the lexicon in the rhetoric were if it was like black folks that were making that demand bitch everybody anyway they would have ignored us right no but like when white folks need to come to task and when there needs to be something that folks need to push through there was I don't remember nobody saying we need to be resilient and we need to just wear the mask and hunker down and stay that ass in the house and right like it was it was like met with empathy and we understand that this has been really hard for people right there's that that same level of compassion isn't met like 
that doesn't happen when resiliency is invoked for Black people. It's, it is oftentimes used in a way that is condescending or it's weaponized against us, right? It's sort of like, you all have been suffering through all of this other shit. So like, suck it up, bitch, and continue to suffer and move through the, the more of the fuckery that's being given to you because that's what your option is. And I go back to the example of the voting rights legislation and how people on the ground are like, have said, we cannot out-organize a legislature. We cannot out-organize voter suppression. We can't do it. We keep doing the thing. We keep delivering, you know, all of the wins and mobilizing people to vote and getting these people elected so that you all can pass shit that you say that you're going to pass. And then you don't. And, the response from the federal government to basically, you know, black voters was keep organizing. And it's like, bitch, we can't. We like we how how do you beat voters? How do you what? Right. There wasn't it wasn't a cute message acknowledging that black people have tirelessly been fighting for their right to vote and have been water hosed and lynched and murdered and have had police dogs released on them and have been beaten up and have been brutalized and have been terrorized for decades in this country to have the right to vote and that that is frustrating and that that is traumatizing and that that history is awful and that it is it is repugnant that this is the legacy that this country has and that it is repugnant that people who are the children of folks who fought for people to vote have to continue that fight to vote. That's never what is told to us. It is just keep for it. Just keep you. Ha you must keep doing this because other people, other black people did it before you. So like, you just have to keep fighting. And it's like, no, where is the compassion for us? Where is the, where is the empathy and the understanding and the recognition of how this is exhausting and how we are tired and how, and like even just someone saying that we shouldn't have to do this. That is what I think that when we use resiliency and the way that we have framed black people as superheroes and as invincible and as unbreakable and as we can just overcome everything, it, it robs us of, of that, of people having to take the time to acknowledge all of the horrible, fucked up things that we have been forced to survive. So yeah, um, don't call me resilient, um, because it doesn't, I don't, I don't think that for many of you, the way that you see me calling me resilient doesn't feel like it's, it doesn't feel like it comes from a good place. It doesn't feel like it comes from a place that recognizes my humanity fully. Um, I think it doesn't come from a place that recognizes the humanity of black people fully. Um, I think that it allows for you to not really have to sit with the weight 
of the things that people like myself who have had to move through a lot like Carrie, it allows for you to look and I think put me on a pedestal and be in awe, but never have to be reflective about like, why did Carlin have to push through all of this stuff? And should they have had to? And that's what I really would like. That is what would be much more beneficial and transformative for me, at least, is like people actually practicing empathy and 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 engaging with the rhetoric and the ideas that they have about like why they don't feel the need to extend empathy to black people because i think a lot of people sympathize with black folks in like a weird paternalistic way um but, like, don't actually empathize with us in a deep feeling this should never have to happen to anybody kind of way. And I really would like for folks to move to, like, that space where they're not looking at Black folks and going, like, oh, that's so sad that that happens to black people it's just so sad that black people get murdered by police just 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 makes me so upset that they're getting murdered like no we don't need that we need for folks to see our humanity and like recognize that black people are people and that the that the way that joy and fun and life is stolen from black folks is repugnant and that it should not happen to anyone because black people are people that black people are human and i'm like even the fact that i have to fucking remind people <laughs> is feels um feels gross it feels it, like this is this is what I'm like this moment that I'm having right now right as I'm recording and where I feel like I'm literally having to spoon feed to people and remind them that like I'm a fucking human being and other black people are fucking human like that is I think that that is like what this umbrella of resiliency has like done it has robbed black people of humanity and people literally don't remember um, and like some folks, I think use resiliency and they're like, no, I do see your humanity. I see you as resilient, but that's like, I feel like the way that resilience again is deployed onto black people is still anti-black and is another, is, and is like another way to rob us of humanity while allowing for folks to think that they are recognizing our humanity. But if you're looking at me and you don't see me as a person, and you don't think that I struggle with anything, and you don't think that things are hard for me, and you can't understand how some of the stuff that, like, I've experienced and that Black people have collectively experienced is, like, harmful and hurtful and has, like, traumatized us, 
then you're not seeing us as human. You're seeing us as, like, superheroes or as magical or as, like, alien even. Someone... (laughs) Um, I think of this moment that I had with someone that I used to work with who, like, who was talking about how smart I was, but she was like, I listen to you talk. And sometimes I'm like, is he an alien? Because, like the stuff that you think about just, like, blows my mind, right? So, like, literally dehumanizing me, right? Like, calling me an ethereal, extraterrestrial being. Um, It's not... It doesn't require for you to see me as a person. And I don't want it. I want to be seen as a human. Um... And it feels, it feels sad to me that I have to, like, that I feel like I'm begging people to see my humanity. But, like, that's the world we live in, right? Where, like, Black people are being murdered (laughs) on camera um, and brutalized and peaceful movements for justice are being met with military force from the state but then you know people who are actually fucking terrorists and who killed a police officer and who were gonna kill people in congress no police response right um so it feels frustrating to constantly feel like I have to remind people that I'm a person and I, I don't entirely blame resiliency. Like there's other things, but I think that the way that we weaponize resiliency is part of the reason. So yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you, this will help you think about some stuff and I will see you in the next one. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so in a few ways. First, you can rate and review the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe to Beneath the Surface on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you never miss a new episode. You can share the podcast with your friends and family and tell them why you love Beneath the Surface. You can also support the podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Patrons get exclusive access to content, hangouts, and other perks. You can check out my Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash Beneath the Surface Podcast. That will be in the show notes for you. Be sure to follow Beneath the Surface on all the social medias. You can find Beneath the Surface on both Twitter and Instagram at BT Surface Pod and on Facebook at Beneath the Surface. Lastly, you can follow my personal Twitter, which is at Dontray1224. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you in the next episode.